It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Walker Report podcast in association with the Sunday Community Soup Kitchen. It's good to be back in the hosting chair after being quizzed by Gav last week, as we are not only looking ahead to our trip to Luton Town at the weekend, but also taking a breath to take a look at how the championship is shaping up and to get a neutral view on the lads, which is always good, because today we are delighted to welcome, once again, the Sky Sports EFL digital editor, Simeon Golem. Hello, Simeon. Hi, mate. How are you doing? You well? I'm not bad. Thank you for joining us. I was We were just talking beforehand. This is uh, your hat-trick of appearances on our podcast yeah and there's been a different manager to talk about every time I've been on as well so <laughs> yeah I feel like we should give you a, a signed match ball or a signed I don't know <laughs> microphone or a signed you know something but uh but how are you keeping anyway yeah very well mate very well obviously the championship uh, I'd say it never rests I mean it's going to rest soon for the world cup but yeah it's been a hectic season so far I uh, can't believe how far in we are already almost uh, sort of getting towards a third of the way through the campaign, which feels crazy. But yeah, it's it's been mad, but it's always just a lot of fun and it feels sort of even more unpredictable this year than usual. So I'm enjoying it. I uh, don't know how much you guys are enjoying it. Obviously, good to be back in, back out of League One, but as stressful as ever, I'd imagine, especially after a bit of a dip recently. Yeah, well, we'll get into that. And I want to get into the the kind of the aspect of the World Cup because that's a, that's an interesting one this season. But we'll, we'll come back onto that because, I mean, looking at back at those uh, past kind of appearances on our podcast, I mean, you joined us back in April was the last time you were on, uh, right in the middle of our charge into the, the playoffs under Alex Neil. Um, and I think you spoke to Gav that time. And now we're talking finally as uh, as Sunderland being a championship club. But uh, did you cover our playoff campaign pretty closely? Because, I mean, it was, it was two pretty epic games against Sheffield Wednesday and then and then the final itself. I did, yes. I was at the second. Obviously, I'm based in London, so and I was around a lot of places, so it's not always easy for me to get everywhere during the playoffs. But I was at the second leg at Hillsborough, which was an incredible night, an incredible ending to that game of how it finished. Obviously, a nightmare to cover from my end when things happened that late. But obviously, <laughs> a, a fantastic night for you guys, and that's all that matters, really. And I was at the final as well. And I'm sure it was very, very different watching from a Sunderland fan's perspective. But from my perspective, from pretty much minute one, I've never been so certain of one team winning a playoff final as I was Sunderland beating Wickham that day, just in terms of how in control you were of the game. I'm sure you didn't see it that way. I'm sure no one listening to this saw it that way. But from my perspective, it was a very, very impressive, comprehensive display for such a big game for the club. 
Yeah, well, I think I think the hangover is just about wearing off from from that weekend <laughs> in in the capital. But uh, but I mean, talking about Sunderland going up, I, I also get the hint or the little impression that Sky are also a little bit pleased that we've stepped back up because I mean I don't know how the games are chosen, but I think not far off half of our games have been live on Sky already this season. Uh, yeah, I can't confirm or deny that, but uh, <laughs> there there were there might be a hint of that. Yes, when the club in the championship pulls in sort of forty or thousand a week into their stadium, it does sometimes have an impact on the amount of games that get picked, especially when a lot of the teams that do tend to pull in those kinds of attendances have left the championship one way or the other <laughs> in the mm-hmm. last couple of seasons. It it has certainly helped in that regard. But we do always get fans complaining when their games are on TV and when their games aren't on TV in equal measure. So you just can't please some people sometimes, unfortunately. But there's a, there's a lot of mutual interest because obviously there are as many fans out there as interested in Sunderland losing or Sunderland winning. So that always helps with the TV <laughs> figures as well. So Yeah, there is that. But um, and, and I mean, you mentioned earlier that every time you come on, there's always, you know, in between Europeans, there's always seems to be a managerial change. And um, as much as... Kind of part of me doesn't want to go back over the whole Alex Neil saga earlier in the season. Kind of curiosity is getting the better of us to to kind of ask you about it. So I mean, you know, from someone who you know in the position who reports on these sort of moves, you know, looking back five games into the season, we just beaten Stoke City to go fifth in the table. Though obviously early days in the terms of the table sorted itself out. I mean, did it come as much of a surprise to the media? Do you think as it did to Sunderland fans, or had you heard a whisper or two before it actually happened? I hadn't heard a whisper to you personally. Um, it was obviously a shock. It was a shock to you. I mean, it was a shock to you guys as well. It was, um, you, you'd never really expect it because when you, you look at it and you weigh it up on the face of it, it looks sort of at best a sideways move. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I'm on a Sunderland podcast, but Sunderland are a, a massive club at any level, let alone championship level. Stoke obviously had years in the Premier League, very big team. But it's just when you, you just feel like when a manager is on an upward trajectory of a club, and his reputation is growing, just kind of stick with it. Unless, obviously, I mean, if a Premier League club came calling, that's a, a different kettle of fish altogether. But it just felt like a very strange sideways move at the time. But then you can, obviously, the problem is, is you get so personally invested in these things and you, you, you think about them so much in terms of just purely footballing matters, you you forget about the sort of the personal stakes as well and the things like the sort of the contract situations and his personal circumstance where he lives. I think he's moved closer to home, that kind of thing. It's just, yeah, you, you do have to think about stuff like that. And it's it's hard to take that out of the equation, but on the face of it, it was odd. And it was a shame because it did feel like he was building something very special at Sunderland. But at the end of the day, do you really want a manager whose heart isn't in the club, isn't in building the club, isn't in taking the club forward and can have his head turned that easily? I guess not. So I think in the end, it was the right move for all parties. It's just... It's a shame that had to happen the way it did and how it did. I, mid-season moves like that never sit particularly well with me. I, I don't think... I think you just put too much pressure on yourself as a manager for it to be a success. So, yeah, it, it was odd and it was a shame for Sunderland. But in the end, it was the best for both parties if he wanted to go. He wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, we're just not used to managers leaving by choice, I don't think. It's normally <laughs> they're, they're given the, the boot. But, uh, I mean, before we get on to how you, you think we're doing this season, I wanted to kind of get your summary on how the Championship in general is shaping up because we're just over a quarter of the way through this season. And it looks to me like it's not going to be one of those years where you're going to get a runaway leader, you know, the likes of the Fulhams, you know, 90 points, 100 points and... 100 goals and all of that sort of stuff. It doesn't seem to me like you're going to get that 
a team who's going to be promoted weeks in advance. At the moment, it's typically tight, you know, six points separating the top nine. And actually, there's maybe a few surprises on some of the teams who are occupying those top spots at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if we'd had this conversation maybe three weeks ago, it would have looked very, very different when Sheffield United <laughs> and Norwich were the top two and it looked like they were going to pull away from the rest. I remember being very unconvinced by Norwich originally, mainly they just didn't look the same proposition they'd been the last couple of times they were in the championship and they were the favourites pre-season, but that as much to do with the fact they were just Norwich and they've won the league the last two times they've been in as much as anything else. Equally, if you told me that QPR and Blackburn would be the top two after 16, 17 games, I would have I would have laughed in your face as well. It just didn't it just with the teams that are there or thereabouts. But you have got a few emerging like Burnley are starting to look a real sort of proposition. But then as you said, the other two, Sheffield United and Norwich, have been on terrible form and dropped down the table quite badly. So you just you don't know really. But I mean it's you just win a few games in this league, which I'm sure Sunderland will be hoping to do soon, and you do get right back up there. So yeah, it, it's it's honestly I'm 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 literally staring at the table now and it's just <laughs> you can't it, it almost doesn't make any sense. Look at Swansea were like nineteenth about three weeks ago, now they're fourth. Yeah. So it's just yeah. Try try predicting it every week, try try reporting on it every week from a neutral stance. It's just impossible. <laughs> like yeah, Swansea, Swansea were impressive against us a couple of weeks ago. But and the the other surprise, well, kind of for me anyway, is that we've got last season's playoff finalists Huddersfield bottom, and we've got Middlesbrough West Brom sitting in the bottom four. And I imagine you would have gotten a half decent price for Steve Bruce and Chris Wilder to be out of a job by the end of October. Steve Bruce maybe less of a surprise. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to say that because I'm kind of biased a little bit. But Wilder was, I think there was a lot of expectation that he just needed the summer to get his kind of pieces in position and sort it out and get his kind of style in and then Middlesbrough would be a real threat this season. But it just didn't work out for whatever reason. It's it's a shame. He, he Apart from how it ended at Sheffield United, he's never really failed anywhere in his managerial career. So that was a bit of a, a shock, a bit of a surprise. Um, West Brom still look less than some of their parts but they still don't look particularly good now that uh, Steve Bruce has left and there's a lot of discontent among the fan base there in terms of ownership and uh, sort of yeah chairman and that kind of thing I'm sure it's something a lot of people listen to this will be very familiar with as a concept a a sort of a, a club that's rotting in terms of its hierarchy shall we say uh, yeah, so they are looking a bit in trouble. I mean, you look at the team they have, and but then it, it's never that simple, really. It's never that simple just to say, oh, look at these players. Look, at, even a manager like Steve Bruce has had a lot of success in this league, for better or for worse. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like Chris Wilder, you think all the pieces there, all the he's got his players in, he's got his squad together, but then it just sometimes it just doesn't work out. It's just sometimes it's just what's written on paper, what it looks like should happen, just doesn't happen. It really is as simple as that. And it's yeah, so. Who knows? And I mean, I might take some of the magic out of it, but actually earlier today, the day we're recording, Michael Carrick has been appointed manager of Middlesbrough, which seems to me a bit of a strange one to, you know, this position they're in to, to go with somebody who's completely unproven. Yeah, I mean, it's taken them a long time to make the appointment, haven't they? They've been chasing him for a while, so they must be very keen. It must be very impressive. But it seems like it's a lot of a lot of the way that clubs seem to be going now. You seem to have the clubs who still kind of, keep turning back to the old stalwarts and then a lot of clubs who seem to be trying to try something younger and fresh like QPR top of the league with Steven Gerrard's old number two who everyone now thinks was the brain behind what Gerrard was doing in his career and that's why it went wrong for him Aston Villa this season 
And yeah, I mean, Burnley appointed Vincent Company again. I mean, a, a very well-known name, but not what you would have potentially considered a typical Burnley managerial appointment, that kind of thing. So yeah, maybe it's just after so many years of appointing the likes of Chris Wilder, Neil Warnock and that kind of route, maybe they just think we need to just, we need to try something different. And maybe, I mean, the owner must be confident with, with the squad they have that whatever happens, they're not going to go down this season. So maybe he just feels like it's time to, to really just try something fresher and newer and see what happens. So, I mean, I, I have to admit, I don't know very much about Michael Carrick as a, a coach or a manager. Obviously we all saw him take charge of Man United for a few games last season, but there's only so much you can really read into that. And I think to try and read too much into that, to how he's going to approach Middlesbrough would be foolhardy really, because it's just, there's, it's two completely different situations, two completely different jobs. So yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds and how he gets on. Because I mean, they can't get much worse than they've been so far this season. So only upwards from here for them. Yeah. I mean, just to stay on the subject of kind of managerial appointments. I mean, we obviously talked about Alex Neil leaving, but we only played one game without a manager because Tony Mowbray was appointed pretty quickly. I mean, how did you view the the decision? Because it was actually the complete opposite in terms of the process. Um, because when we appointed Alex Neil, it was a mess that dragged on for a few mm. weeks and had Roy Keane involved and all that sort of stuff. But but how did you view all of that process and the appointment of Tony Mowbray? Again, it was a bit of a surprise originally. I think Tony Mowbray has a reputation that he doesn't really deserve. And I'm sure some fans are seeing that to an extent now in terms of he I it probably he just he looks like his counterparts and colleagues of that kind of age and era. So I think he gets kind of tarred with that brush a little bit, which I don't think is entirely fair. His teams do play good football. He does sort of trust in youth. He does try and play progressively. And I think on the whole he did a very good job at Blackburn. I mean they seem to have kicked on a bit this season, but they're around the same sort of area this time last year as they were now before falling away he does get criticized for that a lot in terms of his teams tend to fall away in the second half of seasons uh, when they've been run dry especially if your squad's not that deep but overall I think it was a steady appointment and it's I know it's it's hard to maintain levels of expectations for a club the size of Sunderland but it is also important to remember that you have just spent a few years in league one and this is you are a newly promoted team and you do need to still approach the season like a newly promoted team in terms of it's it's all about consolidation. He will do that once you get your strikers back at the very least. Mm. He will do that and you will you will be fine. And it's just about building from here. That's the most important thing. And he's I think he's a, a, a great a great pair of hands to do that. Whether he'll then take you on to the next next level, not entirely sure. But for now, he's I think he's just what the club needed, just something steady and consistent after such a a shock little bit of upheaval like that. And I, I always find it strange when clubs don't have some kind of succession plan in place or some kind of idea of what they do next, even if something shocking happens and then they they just end up drifting for five or six games without a manager. It feels like half the clubs in the championship don't have a manager at the moment and they're all looking for someone and they all seem to be looking for the same person. So yeah, I think I think it was a, a good move. It was a quick move and it's always good when clubs act decisively like that, especially during the season. Yeah. I mean, looking at the squad, that he's taken over because that was one of the rumoured reasons why Alex Nail, you know, went went to Stoke City at the time. Um, I mean, the recruitment during the summer and actually, well, for the last, what, year and a half, I think it's been, or maybe a bit more. I mean, they made perfectly clear what, what the policy is. I mean, just quickly running through some of them, you know, Dan Ballard, 22 years old, Alicia, 21, Barr, 19, Bennett, 18, Mishu, 19, Ahmad, 20, Sims, 21, I mean, the average age of our squad is around 23. Um, we've got 15 players out of a squad of around 25 who are 22 and under. I mean, is that a brave thing to do 
to approach a season in the championship. Well, yeah, it's incredibly brave. But if that's <laughs> if that's the policy, that's the policy. And I mean, Sunderland have tried the opposite in the past, and it's not ended very well. So if that's the approach, you've just got to stick with it and see how it goes, and just sort of praise the the owners and the management and hierarchy for saying this is our approach, this is our policy, and if the manager doesn't like it, then we'll move on to someone who does like it. So yeah, it, it is bold, but then you could look at it the other way and say, oh, we need championship experience, and then you get in a bunch of 32-year-olds who are just looking for a last sort of decent contract who don't feel like they have anything to prove, and it can go the other way. It's just about having a plan and sticking with it, for better or for worse, I think. And that is yeah. what the club are doing, and fair play to them. And the, But there's been there's been a lot of talk as well since Mowbray was appointed that maybe he actually suits this type of squad with a bunch of young players that actually want to play football. Yeah. And that is why for the situation of the room and the squad they have, he was a good appointment. Whether, as I said, he's the one to kick you on and on to the next next level, I'm not sure. But if, if Alex Neal isn't happy with that recruitment and that's what the hierarchy want to do, then it, it was it was the right thing to sort of part ways. Yeah. I mean, our form, you know, recently hasn't been great. You know, one win in the last seven. But we've played, you know, exactly half the season that we've gone through so far without a fit striker. Really, I mean, half the half the, you know, I think eight out of the sixteen games or something we've played without a fit striker. In an, a lot of those games, we haven't got what we've maybe deserved because we haven't had that focal point to to kind of vary our play. But in terms of Mowbray and the fans, do you think it's careful that we don't judge him yet because he's he's basically had kind of one hand tied behind his back? Yeah, I mean. It is difficult when you have two senior strikers in the squad and one of them's a 21-year-old on loan. And um, you still... I know you wanted to get Broadhead back in before the start of the season. He went to, he went somewhere else and it looked like he wouldn't get sort of much game time at Sunderland. That's why he went somewhere else, which is ironic now because he'd be playing 90 minutes a week for you. But mm. it's... Um, yeah, it is, it is frustrating. But then they're obviously... You go two 0 up against Burnley and lose four two. So it's it's not all just there. Are, there were there was a period where it looked like you were suffering from a lack of strikers, but it, it does seem like you're scoring now, and there are issues at the back, and you do need to find some balance a little bit. But yeah, I mean, Ross Stewart is potentially on his day the best striker in the championship, potentially a decent Premier League level striker. So to lose him has been sort of devastating to you to lose him for as long as you have. And it's not just about goals of him, it's about his all-round play, it's about what he brings to the side, it's about how he kind of sets the tempo, the energy from the front as well. And that has been such a blow to you. And it, I don't think it will be fair to really judge Tony Mowbray until he gets him back and Sims back in tandem and gets them playing and gets them. And then, then you can see where you get from there. Because it's just, it's not the same team without them there. Yeah, that's it. And and there have been a few calls from Sunderland fans for us to dip in the market for a free agent to kind of see us through. But but I mean, in general, this season, I mean, it is an odd one because of the gap that's coming up for the championship due to the, to the World Cup. Because mm-hmm. it is a weird situation because of that gap that a lot of clubs are just wanting to, to get into that break to kind of regroup. Because looking at it, there's only four games after the World Cup finishes, until the transfer window opens again. So it's almost like clubs are trying to limp into that break and think, oh, we'll we'll sort it all out then. I mean, Sunderland don't actually have a very long break because you've been scheduled a game on the 3rd of December, haven't you? The Millwall game, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's on the red button on Sky, just plugging that in for (laughs) (laughs) for anyone not going to the game there. Um, So yeah, I think you only have about two weeks off in the end, which is basically just an international break. So I think it's kind of over 
overestimate how long because the Premier League teams have four or five weeks off don't they but Championship mm. have about three and I think Sunderland only have two weeks off so I don't think you can rely too much on that in terms of trying to get or not get someone in because it's not actually that long I mean there's probably seven or eight games and you could find yourself really at the wrong end of the table if it goes wrong between now and then but Ellis Sims is meant to be back at least on the bench this mm. weekend I think isn't he so that should help the situation so I think you'll be okay um, you've had to kind of fill in and filling gaps here and there but as I said he scored two goals against Burnley on Saturday and still managed to lose 4-2 so yeah it's that's something that needs addressing as well but I mean Burnley look the best team in the league at the moment as well apart from maybe QPR so I mean what, what, what kind of impact do you think that the perception you know that World Cup where people think oh well we're not going to be playing for a while and do you think it's going to have any impact it's hard to tell because it's never happened before hmm. so it's hard to really judge what kind of I feel like it's it feels like this this weighty thing that's coming up that's going to massively disrupt everything. But as I said, for Sunderland and for a couple of other clubs, the gap's not actually particularly long. It just feels like it's more of a a thing than is. I mean, it should help some players. I have done off the top of my head if any Sunderland players are going to the World Cup. Uh, well, we've got Bennett from yeah. Costa Rica. He'll be there. Not actually sure off the top of my head. I think he's the only one. Yeah, so it's it's hard to know. But I mean, it will be a bit of a rest and then it will be a recuperation from there. But... I mean, if it gets you a couple of players back off injury, then it will help a lot. But as I said, there's not going to be a huge amount of time to really kind of reshape your season or restructure or anything like that. So it will just be like an extended international break. I mean, we're talking about the football we've been playing and this young squad and our goal of the month at Redden showed the type of football we've been playing this season. And you recently spoke to Jack Clark, who finished off that kind of sweep and move. <laughs> I think it was live on Sky again. So, I mean, what what impression did he give you about the mood in the camp? Because we said that the form hasn't been great recently in terms of picking up points, but we've actually been, been playing all right. So, so how did he sound when you spoke to him? Yeah, he sounded bright. He was very positive about uh, Tony Mowbray and the impact he's had on him. He's, 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 as you know, Tony Mowbray likes playing attacking football for a player like Jack. That works perfectly. He also uh, referenced the sort of the striker situation and I think he was playing up front for the last couple of games and obviously that's not ideal for him or his kind of game. And obviously for him as a creator, someone who wants to put cross into the box, wants to create for people to not then have a striker makes his game more difficult as well because that's his role, that's his responsibility, it's what he's trying to do. So, But yeah, no, he seemed very bright about the season. I think he was just happy to be at the club permanently after a few tricky years at Tottenham, after a couple of loan spells, after... I mean, he was very positive about his time at Spurs and how it improved him as a player. But I think it's just the difference between where somewhere where you feel really wanted and feel really at home and feel like you're integral to the club and to the team. I've talked to enough footballers over the years to know the difference and what it can do to a player just to feel like you're wanted and needed and you're you're a big part of what's going on. And that really came across when I spoke to him. Uh, the interview will is up on, I'm sure by the time this goes out, it'll be up on Sky Sports. You can read that there before the weekend game to help tee you up for Luton. Um, but yeah, he just seemed really happy and bright and to be enjoying everything. And yeah, really nice kid to speak to. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to, to reading that. But uh, but I mean, at the moment, we're currently sitting 13th, six points off the playoffs, four points above the drop. And and for me, I mean, th- th- this is about par for the course this season. I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier. You know, obviously we've just come up. Anything better is a bonus and anything worse is okay as long as we're not kind of dragged into the scrap at the bottom. Uh, but from, from outside, is, is that where you see us this season? Or, or do you think, you know, we could look at maybe making a push if, if we've got our two strikers fit? 
With the two strikers fit, I mean, you looked a different side at the start of the season before Ross Stewart got injured. With Ross Stewart, you're a team that can push towards the top six. I don't know necessarily if you'll get there because it is a very flat league and there's a lot of good teams up there. But you'll be better than you are once you've got your team fit. But that, again, injuries are something that you can't account for. He could come back and get injured again. So if you're that reliant on one player, then it's always a problem. Um, or two players in that respect. But Ross Stewart is the... He's the, the talisman of the side, if you like. So, yeah, uh, you, you won't be in any trouble this season at all in terms of going the other way once, as we said, the strikers are back. But top six, mm, I don't know. My, you, you never know. I mean, stranger teams have gone to the top six and some of them would this season in terms of newly promoted and this and that. And if you asked me last season, I thought Luton against the top six. I would have said no chance or Huddersfield even at the start of last season. So, you never know. Anything can happen in terms of top six in this league. Top two, obviously, that's... That'll be beyond you this season, but you know it's such a flat league. I'm looking at it now, and it's just you just don't know. I mean, a few wins here and there can get you anywhere now. So yeah. Well, we'll arrange to catch up towards the business end of the season again. And if if we're in trouble, I'll I'll be reminding you of that uh, <laughs> <laughs> of that statement. But um, I mean, switching uh, attention to this week's trip to to Kenworth Road, um, it's Luton Town's fourth consecutive season in the Championship since they came up from League One back in 2019. Nathan Jones has had two about two and a half years at Luton now, which is an absolute eternity now for mm. a manager to 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 be in charge of a club. Um, but they've progressed year on year, and obviously beaten in the playoff semi-finals last year but they're an example of a really well-run club that at the moment just kind of keep punching above their weight maybe yeah always smart recruitment always look like they know what they're doing uh owners and hierarchy managers all seem to be streamlined pointing in the same direction which is just vital if you're going to be a club that want to punch above their weight last season was remarkable in terms of what they achieved again they're so close to the playoff final i was at the second leg at huddersfield when that sort of late goal just did it for them. And again, this season brought in Colton Morris, a couple of other players, and just looked like they're going to kick on again. Whether they make the top six or not, who knows? But they just they just perform above expectation. That's all you can really ask for any side in this day and age when money is so important to the game. Again, talking about how difficult this league is to predict, you saw after them at Watford on Sunday. Watford have had a couple of games recently where they've looked absolutely dreadful. Luton looked fantastic, and then they're going to get turned over 4-0 when you would have thought they'd be really up for putting one over their rivals in the home patch. You just, you just don't know what's going to happen in this league. So just don't ask me to predict the score on Saturday, please, because <laughs> I always get it wrong. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned Carlton Morris there. Seven goals this season um, obviously seems to be the obvious threat. But I was looking at him, you know, 26 years old. He's had seven loan moves or something in the last seven or eight years. He's got a ratio of around one in five throughout his career. But this season just seems to be in the form of his life this season, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just, again, sometimes it just works for certain players at a certain club. They kind of find themselves in a certain shape, a certain team. They sort of come into their side late and then, yeah, just they just kick on from there and suddenly they look incredible player. One of my colleagues interviewed him and said it was a lot to do with just working with a manager and finding out what his sort of strengths and weaknesses are and how to use him best. And then if you sometimes go to a team like Luton who are happy to build and sort of use their strengths to the best of their ability, then it can just work for you at certain places. It just it just happens sometimes. Sometimes players just find a club and find a role and it, it just works from them. And you look at an obvious example of someone like Ben Burrows and Diaz at Blackburn, who would have predicted him becoming the striker he has in the last couple of years just from something that just working for him. And then yeah, it just it just goes from there. But he is he is a threat. He is I mean he wasn't a threat on Sunday at Watford, but <laughs> no one was at Luton. So yeah. 
it's um it'll be a tough game it'll be a tough trip um and it'll be interesting to see what happens there yeah well you mentioned that that Watford uh, game that, that last time out for Luton actually where I, I read that uh, Graham Taylor statue had to be boarded up as a precaution before the game which is an interesting one but actually should we take too much into that because um I read some comments from Nathan Jones after the game and he said the kind of squad had been decimated through some sort of flu bug before the game yeah, it, it tends to happen, but then Nathan Jones is always one that has an excuse or two, isn't he? So, um, <laughs> But no, he's probably right. That's a bit unfair. Uh, yeah, what I will say is they generally don't stay down for long and they generally don't go on really bad runs and he will have them back up for Saturday games. So it could be a case of maybe fearing the worst Sunderland in terms of how fired up they might be to get back on the horse again as quickly as possible. So yeah, who, it will be interesting. Interesting. Well, happens Saturday. Yeah, well, they're in a good position at the minute. Ninth in the table, a couple of points off the playoffs. Um, and a little kind of their, their home form at the start was was pretty dire actually at the start of the season. But I mean, now they're unbeaten in the last four. Um, and I don't think they they picked up a win in the first four. I, I mean, should we be wary that it looks like they've got their act together at home? Yeah, I mean, as I said, there was a bit of a playoff hanger at the start of the season, which often is for teams who have a bit of a later sort of summer a bit they, their players tend to come back a bit later and obviously there's the what might have been and that kind of thing but it seems like Watford aside they do have their act together and I mean we've all been to Kenilworth Road we know what it's like <laughs> it's uh, it's a very tight small ground it can be when the atmosphere is good it can be very intimidating it can be very fierce so yeah I would be wary if I was a Sunderland fan but there's no reason you can't go there and get a result just because they are in good form at home and actually, I mean, just I mean, we've gone through kind of the position of the, the two teams and where they're sitting at the minute, and with with the table shaping up the way it is, it feels like the timing of this game makes it quite an important game because we need a boost, um, and our away form is pretty good in general. Luton don't want to lose ground on the top six; um, they're obviously going a good run at home, so it, it just feels like when you're kind of talking through it, there's a lot riding on this game, actually. Yeah, I mean, it depends what Suns. I, I know you're looking up rather than looking down and you have every every right to do so, but if Sunderland do harbour hopes of staying in touch with the top six, then these are the kinds of games where you need to be picking up points because you don't want to start losing too much ground too early because then you can get mired in the part of the table you don't want to be in and then expectations do change. So yeah, in that respect, it is quite an important game, but there's still 30 games to go this season. It's not win or bust for the top six no. or anything like that by any means, but yeah. It's as important as any other game would be at this stage, but it's as important for Sunderland to just, I mean, there's, you don't want to start losing three, four, five games in a row in this league because then it does become a problem. So that's as important as who you're kind of playing or something this Saturday. It's still very much about where you are rather than the teams around you. I, I, I know you've already asked us not to, and I'm not going to ask you for a prediction of the game. I'm not going to ask you that. But I mean, for, in terms of how the game might play out, I mean, having watched Sunderland quite a lot and, and maybe obviously more, more than yourself, I'm not sure, but... You know, it for me, it, it's as much part of which Sunderland turns up. You know, I mean, the Burnley mm. game was a perfect example. First half, I think we would have beaten anybody in this division first half. Second yeah. half, we probably would have been beaten by anybody in the division. So for me, it, it's it's dependent on which Sunderland kind of turns up, which which side of us turns up. But how does your gut feeling tell you? Is it it's going to be tight? Or do you think Luton, the floodgates might open if they get the first one? No. I mean, that's the nature of having a young side, isn't it? You're always going to have inconsistency. It's just it's just the way it is. Again, if Sunderland from the first half against Burnley turn up, you'll win 3-4-0. If Sunderland from the second half turn up, you'll lose 3-4-0. So 
it's it's tactical. Um, I'm going to give you a prediction because I'm kind. I'm but I'm going to say it's going to be a draw, which I think a lot of Sunderland fans at this point would probably take the more pragmatic one, certainly, just to end the mini run of defeats and keep things ticking over until he get his strikers back and keep getting some points on the board. Well, that's it. It's, it's the roller coaster because I, I I said I would have taken a draw against Burnley before the game at half time. I would have said, oh, I, I wouldn't have taken a draw. <laughs> I wanted all three points. So it just, just depends how it goes. But um, are you going to be attending a game this weekend or are you keeping not tabs on everything from afar? I'm afraid not. I'll be in the office this weekend. I keep across all the everything from the 3pm, so it's very much a, a watching brief for me. I'll hopefully be able to get up to some of the games soon, but not quite yet. Maybe after the World Cup or maybe that one during the World Cup that's on because that's on an isolated weekend. That's the hope. So, so are you like a, a one-man... Soccer Saturday, just keep tabs on the EFL. <laughs> the the EFL blog on the Sky Sports website is me on a Saturday afternoon, so it's it's kind of like Soccer Saturday online is how we kind of treat it. <laughs> so yeah, keeping across everything that's happening in the Championship, League One and League Two as best we can, and keeping people informed of what's going on, who are out and about, and not able to watch the show. So yeah, that's how we see it. It's a lot of fun. It's very very hectic, very stressful if you want to try and keep across thirty three games at once. Um, but yeah, it's which is why it's good Sunderland are on so much in other slots because it means I can watch them because at 3 pm on Saturday, I have to be so across everything, it's not always easy to keep up with everything. So, good stuff. Well, hopefully, on Saturday, you're inundated with uh, Sunderland goals from Kenilworth Road, but uh, we'll see how it goes for everyone listening. Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, on that, on that note, it's uh, it's been great to catch up as always. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for your time, Simeon, and it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me again. It's always always a joy, and I look forward to coming on at the end of the season, probably talking about a new manager again and seeing what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, maybe a manager of the month uh, award yeah. or what you what you've given recently or something like that, which is uh, what's been in the past. But uh, thanks again for joining us, Simeon, and take care. Cheers, cheers, and, and thanks again for everyone listening. Keep a lookout at Rock Report for all the build up ahead of the game at Luton on Saturday, and keep an eye on all the usual places for the next pod that should be dropping very soon. But from us, bye for now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.